at SAFM. Top of the morning to you. Welcome to Media SFM. That's here with Zareya Mandla Sharma standing in for Ashraf Garda. We're together until 11 o'clock. Thanks to Zodra Mugwena. Back at uh, 10 with the full bulletin. I'm with the team. Matapela Majokana. Um, Zelma Kribi and of course uh, Francis Masina. And we're together until um, 11 o'clock. I'm thinking midday. Goodness me. Come out of the program. A lot of professionals, a lot of people we need every time we start something new, like a brand new year, brand new job, or uh, at the crossroads from a career point of view. These are the people we need to talk to. Douglas Kruger, as well as Michael Jackson, our first guest. And of course, later on, we'll be uh, trying to answer the question, what makes a good creative director? We'll have uh, Wendy Moorcroft talking to us about that. And uh, if you are a driver, you will have seen that uh, the Houghton Department of, of Community Safety has put out some interesting, um, shall I say, fillers, for lack of a better word, to try and get us to behave accordingly. We'll chat to Gathman Leke, who is the MD of uh, Street Cred Media, talking about that. Also, we'll talk about Facebook, the favorite, your favorite or South Africa's favorite Facebook page. We'll look at some of the uh, documentaries that the BBC has put out, some interesting ones indeed. And also, we'll look at the story of what happened in France uh, in the last week. And uh, we'll also have Tonya Corey uh, looking at uh, media monitoring and a whole lot more. During this hour, you can email us and also give us a call on 891 Send us your SMSs at 34701. And of course, we are on Facebook and on Twitter. First up, Welcoming a man who has uh, quite a number of caps, Douglas Kruger. And technically he's not wearing a cap at the moment, but he is wearing a jaunty t-shirt. He's looking also fine, <laughs> also bright for a Sunday morning. Obviously he didn't go out, sat at home, read a couple of books and prepared. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Happy New Year to you. It's, uh, you but it's unbelievable that it's already 2015. What are we hoping for this year? Well, my thing for this year is about raising value. It's, uh, it's about raising your value as an individual and the, uh, the amount of remuneration you receive for what you do. So that's, that's Doug's theme for 2015. Mm, mm. Do, do you find that a lot of us uh, understand our value? I think we don't. Um, one of the, um, the, the sort of the starting point of this thought process is we can work in incredibly hard for our entire life lives and never actually break even, never become wealthy. Yes. So what we learn from that is that it's not necessarily just about how hard we work. It's about how valuable we are. And that's the heart and soul of my theme for this year is raising your value and finding ways to become worth more, worth more to the world around you, recognized more for the work that you do and uh, paid on a greater scale. Why do we, why does it pass us by? Why does it go over, go over our heads? You know, I think it starts off, um, it, it's very much a cultural thing and it comes down to us from a century or two or two ago where the emphasis was on working hard and we were raised to think that if you work hard, you're essentially a good person. Mm. And of course we should work hard. It's a, it's a good ideal to strive toward, but it's not the only one. It's the the expertise that goes into what we do that determines how well we get remunerated as a result. Um, so two extreme examples. You can have a guy working in the sun all day, backbreaking hard labor, who never breaks even in his lifetime. And you can have a professional, someone who has uh, spent a lot of time raising their personal value, who works for an hour or two a day and lives in a mansion. Now, of course, those are extreme examples, but it goes to show the point. It's not just down to how hard you work. Mm. It's the value that you bring to the world around you. And the value is sometimes open-ended because there's a lot that goes into it. Absolutely. Joining us on the line, also professional speaker, uh, Michael Jackson. Michael, Happy New Year. Good morning. And the same to you, Mandler, and to everybody listening. Good morning. It's nice to be with you. You agree with Douglas or you look at it differently? 
Uh, well, I'm trying very hard to get into that mansion just for an hour a day, but um, <laughs> I'm already hard at work. I'm not even in a jaunty T-shirt, I'm afraid. I'm at my first conference of the year already down at the magnificent Champagne Sports Resort, working with a bunch of 40 professional speakers preparing for a Meetings Africa showcase coming up on the 26th of February in Santon, where 1,000 conference organizers are coming in to choose speakers for the next year. And we've been hard at work since Friday night. I've had virtually no sleep, making sure that we're all well prepared for that. Mm, but you work differently, um, different hours when all of us are sleeping. This is when uh, you get the most value. I've been called a workaholic, I guess. I mean, I did 168 conferences last year where I'm hoping to help, like Douglas, change people's lives a little bit. You know, I speak about change predominantly, and of course 2015 will be the most magnificent year of change. It's going to happen whether we want it or not, and we've all got to make sense out of it and understand how we can get to that point where we raise our own value significantly. I certainly agree with what Douglas is saying. How do we prepare for this change? Because most of us, so we start thinking about this around about, what, the third week of December of each year? And we start thinking, goodness me, I've got to make a change for next year. Is that enough time? Um, I'm not even sure if it is really, to be absolutely honest with you. I think change planning is a continuous thing that we need to do every single day of every year. Um, most people have given up their New Year's resolutions by now already, I'm pretty sure of that. Mm. And yet the problem is that our lives are so complicated, what we need to do is we need to demystify an awful lot of our lives. We need to make sure that we're making sense out of what it is that we're really doing to make maximum productivity happen. So we need to deal with a lot of clutter. Would you agree, Douglas? Absolutely. And actually just picking up on what uh, Michael said there about the complexity of the world, uh, it comes down to the old 80-20 rule where 80% of what we do is mm. not terribly effective in advancing our careers. Yes. The 20% that we should be focusing on, identifying and actually focusing on that is a great part of raising your value. And as Michael says, you know, the world around us, the industries are changing. The type of economy in which we work is dramatically different to what it was even 10 years ago. Mm. And what we value and what gets uh, remunerated on the highest levels changes continually. Now that throws up the need for, uh, I mean, well, very much for people like Michael and myself, thought leaders who actually help people to understand what's valuable these days. Mm. Where is industry going and what should we be focusing on? In different spheres, where do we start? Understanding who we are and what we want, or is there something else? Well, from my perspective, the, the very simple starting point is asking yourself, what do you see as an industry icon? What do you see as the kind of workplace hero that you would like to emulate? And then simply your task becomes filling that in, informing it, becoming it. And of course, that's, uh, that's a lot more complicated than it sounds. Mm. But the starting point is to say, what do I want to be? What do I admire? What do I look up to? And how do I fill myself with those qualities and those values? And that's the act of raising your personal value. The answers you get, is it easy to deal with them? Because some of the things you look at and you're thinking, gee, that's a mammoth task. Not at all. And in fact, actually, again, just picking up on what Michael was saying about how things change. Mm. When we learn uh, very technical skills, those skills become outdated and redundant incredibly quickly. I was reading an article by James Cameron, the, uh, the guy who produced Avatar, Avatar and yeah. Titanic. Yeah. And uh, he was just saying that he doesn't use a single skill that he used to use when he started off in that industry. But the skills that he, do, uh, he does still use are all about thinking and innovation. So we tend to get a little bit hung up on teaching our kids to, you know, get a specific trade or learn a specific skill, study IT, whatever the case might be. Mm. I think we're losing something there. We need to teach people how to think, and that's a whole different universe. Michael? 
Yeah, I'm, I'm following this with keen interest. I think, you know, for me, we overcomplicate our lives so dramatically. And one of the best things that anyone who's listening to this could do would be take a leaf out of the simplification process. And really, you need to do four things predominantly to make sure that your life gets back on track. Because we're trying to do everything. We're doing too much continuously. We need to work out what we need to delete. We need to work out what we need to delegate. We need to work out what we need to decide to do, and we need to work out what we need to get rid of completely. So delete, delegate, decide, and then, last of all, do. What is it I'm physically going to do when I've cleared the clutter from my desk? And we've got to knuckle down and physically get on with it. Are we bold enough, do you think? Boldness, I'm not sure. I th uh, look, I think within each and every one of us, there's a sense of greatness that exists. Whether you are that guy toiling away in the sun all day or the guy working for an hour and living in the mansion, I think that you know, greatness is, is potentially within every single one of us. Mm -hmm. You can look at some phenomenal South Africans who've achieved some incredible things from the most humble backgrounds. If you take a guy like Sia Zusa, the rocket scientist who had a planet named after him. I mean, he was born in humble circumstances in the Eastern Cape. He just wanted to fly, so he invented a rocket fuel that NASA are using. You know, so it doesn't matter where you are, where you've come from, who you think you are, there is potential for greatness inside each and every single one of us. It's just the process of uncovering it, which is why, I guess, people like Douglas and myself earn our careers, earn our lives by, uh, or earn our livings by um, helping people really uncover their own greatness. Douglas has got a broad smile on his face. Mm, absolutely, I couldn't agree more. And, and I think one of the uh, sort of psychological traits that that comes down to is the idea of permission. We're all waiting for permission, permission to try something, permission to innovate in our world, permission to build our own businesses, grow, do the things we want to do. Mm. And realistically, nobody gives you permission. The barrier, the, the hurdle, the obstacle is within your own mind. You either allow it to hold you back or you don't. Now, of course, that means you've got to have a fairly high tolerance for failure. Most of the world's multi-billionaires have mm. been, you know, bankrupt and back multiple times. And for most working class and middle class people just trying to get by in life, the idea of going bankrupt is the single most terrifying thing that we can imagine. Yes. So it's that idea of permission. Give yourself permission to fail. In fact, I, I go a step further and I tell audiences, give people permission to laugh at you. Because our fear is that social ostracism. We fear trying something and getting negative feedback. If we go into trying something in advance with the idea that we don't mind other people criticizing us, laughing at us, falling on our face, we can fail and fail gloriously, or we can surprise ourselves by actually changing our life story. Or we can live in regret. In regret. Mm. Well, I always uh, conclude that little section of, uh, of my presentation on building your life by saying you can be one of two people at the end of the day. You can arrive home with your tie in place, your cufflinks neatly done, your hair still perfect, everything neat and dying on the inside. Or you can be the other person, the one who comes home beaten, haggard, ragged, falling apart, but alive because you are trying. Hmm. I'll, I'll take option two personally. Sheesh, powerful stuff. Now, are there simple steps if if one was to be given five steps to try and build the confidence to try and get the permission and and get used to the idea that it's going to be hard they'll take the bruises and the successes with well i'll give you my answer to that one i'm i'm focusing very much on encouraging people to build soft skills at the moment as, as i say specific industry related skills become redundant very quickly but the ability to for example speak in public mm. um, human skills like leadership negotiation persuasion um, and your, your skill around the presented word writing and speaking mm. those things don't go out of fashion 
The industries change, they evolve, they, uh, they change at a frightening pace. But the ability to think, to guide people, to lead, negotiate, speak and write, those things generally throw experts and icons to the top of the pile. Wow. Michael? Yeah, for me, I mean, this change process, I've spent most of my working career studying and speaking about the principles of change. And, you know, we all hope that A to B, where B is a little bit higher up on the scale, wherever it is that your journey is taking you, we all hope it's going to be a straight line and a simple path. And, in fact, we end up taking this huge curve, a negative curve that we go through before any positive change happens. You know, change is announced. Something happens in your life. Your first response is surprise. And then it's a bit of fear, and then it's a bit of anguish, and then a bit of regret, or a sense of loss, or whatever it might be. Mm. All these negative things that the human brain goes through automatically when circumstances change. They're natural, they happen. What you need to do is get through those stages, recognizing what they are, and recognizing them for the fact that they're only temporary. It's only when you physically make a choice within your mind that you do want to do something, you're actually going to get off your backside and do only then do we start seeing the clouds start to part, a little bit of sunshine poke through, and we start climbing out of the base of that curve, heading towards the, the ultimate goal of point D. Now, what happens with it is that we just need to shorten that curve. Successful people tend to go in as much of a straight line as they possibly can towards something, driving it with purpose. Most of us just bumble around through the steep, de depressive, horrible curve, and then we've got to pull ourselves up and out and through it, and it takes us normally far longer to change than it ought to do. So it really is the way that you think about handling your own set of circumstances. Whether that change is somebody dying or a change of job or uh, a change of marital status, whatever it might be, all the negative stuff comes before the positive. Recognize it quickly, move through it fast. Um, it's quite a complex subject, but we can all do it. Complex and uh, I think uh, needing quite a lot of confidence and self-belief at times because that's what puts us, puts us down. Absolutely. And uh, I, I like to talk in, uh, in metaphors. And I mean, I love what Michael is saying here. And uh, the way in which I try and sort of express the uh, similar concepts yes. is I say, enter the mist boldly. And that's that idea of giving yourself permission, actually trying something, even in scenarios where others don't believe in you or where you don't necessarily have the answers up front. So the first principle, enter the mist boldly. Unless you believe in your dream, your vision, the future state that you imagine for yourself, nobody else is going to give you permission or make it happen for you. Yes. And the second principle, which is very much or similar to, to what Michael is saying about get there in the straightest line possible, I speak about going where the energy is. One of the mistakes I made in my own speaking career and my professional career was spending too long on the periphery and, in fact, even outside mm. of the industry. Uh, about three years ago, I, I spent a fair amount of money and went over to Dallas in the United States and attended a professional speakers conference. And I can tell you that the next year, I doubled my income. And it's a case of you don't know what you don't know. Unless you actually go where the energy is, go to where the experts are, go where the learning is, go where the vibe is happening, you don't know what you're missing out on. Speak to people. Speak to people, learn from the experts, get the knowledge. Don't, don't go it alone. Don't fumble in the mist. So enter the mist boldly, yeah. <laughs> but, but take a light with you for crying out loud. Get a torch, a yeah. box of matches, it can help. <laughs> Michael? You certainly got a mix of like-minded people, as Douglas is saying. I couldn't agree more. And I think that uh, what's interesting about it is that I read the most phenomenal book over the Christmas break. I read Boris Johnson's new book on Winston Churchill, who I think everybody would agree was an incredibly inspirational guy. Churchill was renowned for a great many witty quotes that he came up with. My favorite Churchillian quote, though, of all time was this. He simply said, 
history will be kind to me, for I intend to write it. Hmm. Hmm. Wow. wonder what kind of history many of us are writing. Absolutely. At yeah. the moment. At the moment. Douglas, you got a book out? Yes, I have. Um, in fact, I've got a, I'm being sneaky here, I've got a second book coming out. Yeah. The, uh, the first one is Own Your Industry, How to Position Yourself as an Expert. Mm-hmm. And that's really what I've been chatting about here. It's raising your value, becoming seen as an icon in whatever sphere you're involved in. And it's not just in the corporate world. It's whether you're a musician, sports star. Essentially, it says, take the world in which you're involved and become the leader in it. Mm. And it gives specific techniques. In fact, 50 different ways to do that. The next one I'm, I'm quite chuffed about coming out in a couple of months' time with Penguin is called Relentlessly Relevant 50 Ways to Innovate. So that's that's about how to think about innovating in your business. Mm, yeah. mm. Michael, we continuously have to learn, as Douglas was saying earlier on, that uh, some of the skills you've learned this year, probably six months down the line, you'll have to upgrade or the irrelevant. Yeah, most certainly. And um, I put a book out on Amazon at the end of last year called Presentation Skills Masterclass, teaching people in business to learn how to present themselves a little better because I've sat through 2,500 conferences or so in my career and I've seen the most terrible presentations you could possibly imagine. Really, Michael? You spend a lot of time at conferences? Oh, yeah. It's about 170 (laughs) a year on average. It's kind of crazy. (laughs) um, So I wrote the Presentation Skills Masterclass and it's an hour's read. For the simple reason that you could, everyone can do what Douglas and I do. We're all capable of doing it. We just need sometimes a bit of guidance to get us out there. So if anyone wants to improve their own presentations, nip over to Amazon, download or buy a copy of Presentation Skills Masterclass. You're an hour away from being an expert. Douglas and I were talking off A about uh, the so-called private people or introverts, and Douglas had some interesting ideas about that. Douglas? Oh, yeah, absolutely. We, we often think of being an introvert as something of a disadvantage, and we see charismatic people taking the lead in many spheres. Mm. And there's no denying that being charismatic is very useful. But there's increasing amounts of study coming out, uh, particularly in the U.S., about the nature of being an introvert. And it essentially draws a new divide. We, we typically think of an introvert as quiet versus loud. And the latest thinking on that topic says it's not quite accurate. It's really, are you energized by being around other people or are you depleted and exhausted by it? And I can tell you by, by that definition, I'm, I'm, I'm an introvert. I can only spend a couple of hours in a lot of society, uh, in a lot of company, mm. and then I'm done. I'm, I'm actually finished and I need to retreat to my little cave. But uh, fortunately, the good news is that to a large extent, introverts are very good at creating backstage and then presenting on stage. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean a a, a literal stage. It means Mm. in anything that we do, we retreat into our little cave and we think, we strategize, we really consider the world around us, and we we tend to be considered in how we do things. We then take that private time thinking and present it to the world. So it's not a disadvantage. In many ways, it can be a strength. Hmm. It's it's quite remarkable, really. I, I I spent two years working with probably the biggest introvert in the world, Mr. Richard Branson. And most people wouldn't think of him as being introverted in the slightest. But he learned to overcome his own reticence by learning how to be out there, by learning the art of PR, by learning literally how to switch himself on when it's needed. And when you see Mr. Branson in the quiet times, he's very withdrawn, very quiet, deep thinker, one of the most introverted people you'd ever meet, but one of the most remarkable characters. So your character traits, whoever you are, Every one of us has greatness within us, and that's got to be the ultimate takeout from this. Absolutely, and he's always a great example. I talk about Own Your Industry as being about how to become the Richard Branson of whatever you do.
Yeah, any, any thoughts on social media? Because a lot of people will talk about your Facebooks, your Instagrams and so forth. And I've had people saying, I've got two personas. There's a private me as an individual, a family member, and there's a professional yeah. me as well. Is this the way to go? Well, it's a little bit dangerous to have those divides because what you don't want is to be caught out. The worst thing in our industry, and I'm sure Michael will, uh, will concur with this, is this idea that when he or when she steps off stage, we've discovered that they're a completely different person. Mm. So there is a great deal of equity to being real. And also, I mean, just down to speaking technique, you stand up on stage and you do a persona at people. It smacks of something fake. It's false. It's inauthentic. So the the goal these days is actually to bring something a little bit more real, a bit more connective. And I think the same applies in social media. You don't want to be. You do want to be a the strongest possible version of yourself, mm. but you don't want to be a different self. Oh, I'm just thinking about the fastest way to get unfriended from my own personal Facebook page. Um, all you got to do is put up a post on a Monday that's bemoaning the fact that it's Monday morning and it's still five days till Friday. Um, I, I really think that when, you, when you're mastering your social media platforms, and, you know, for me, LinkedIn in particular, uh, Facebook, YouTube, all of those things, you need to cultivate and develop a brand that is authentic and is the real you, but it also needs to be professional. It's almost as if everything you post would appear on a giant billboard over the M1. There's no such thing as privacy anymore in social media terms. Mm. You're going to be seen and judged instantly by the way that you put yourself across on the social media platforms. It's a very, very precarious thing. You've got to manage it judiciously. And some people will say, be in on all of them, and some people say, choose one or two. What works? Uh, for me, LinkedIn from a business perspective, um, Facebook from a, from a social, just catching up and giving you a real persona, and Twitter being news that flitters between the two. And of course, you know, from Douglas and my perspective, YouTube is absolutely essential for yeah. us so people can see what we do uh, and get a glimpse or a taste of it. But just for the average listener right now, if, you know, if, if you're thinking about your own life, if you're in business, you must have a professional LinkedIn profile. If you're, um, uh, if you're you know, hoping to influence anybody from an external level, Facebook is right up there. Um, Twitter, it depends on whether you've got much to say, but certainly for me, LinkedIn and Facebook are key. Quite interesting because there's all these different viewpoints depending on, does it also depend on industry where you, where you work? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. What, perhaps a good starting point is to ask yourself what you should be putting out there. Mm. And uh, in the book, Own Your Industry, I talk about how experts are comprised of three core values and you've got to have all three working together or you disqualify yourself as an expert. Mm. And uh, one of them in particular is surprising. The ones that people would expect are knowledge and publicity. Unless you have knowledge and publicity, you are not seen as an industry icon. But the one that I think generally surprises people is personality. So I put those three together and I say, experts exist at the intersection of knowledge, personality, and publicity. So we do also, within limits, have to bring who we are to what we do. I mean, think about uh, my favorite cooking show for all sorts of biased reasons, Nigella Lawson. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> I'm not interested in cooking shows, but I watch Nigella's show religiously. And in fact, you have to ask yourself, is she the world's most qualified chef? And the answer is no. And you ask yourself, well, is she in the top 10? No. Push that to the top 100, and I would still say, no, she doesn't make the cut. So then the question becomes, why is she out-earning all of them collectively? 
And the answer is in that magical word, publicity. And in her case, that includes sex appeal and sizzle and the mm-hmm. whole trip. Uh, in the case of people like Jeremy Clarkson on Top Gear, it certainly doesn't include sex appeal, but it's about the humor, it's about the personality. So that is, in fact, and Top Gear is a really great example of that. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of car shows and uh, motoring journalists around the world. Mm. Yet that show and those three personalities are at the helm of a juggernaut, the likes of which television has never seen before. Mm. And they have the same raw material with which to work as all of their competitors. So all the journalists in the world have access to the same new cars, but Top Gear is on a different level. So what they're doing differently, it's not just the knowledge and the publicity, it's also the personality. They tell a story, they bring the humor, they bring the sizzle, uh, it's fun, it has vibe, it has everything that you want in a show. Now just from a social media point of view, someone that I follow, and it's a bit of a strange one, but I, I recommend him as someone worth emulating, is Mike Rowe. He's a presenter now on CNN and mm. previously on Discovery Channel with a show called Dirty Jobs. Ah, Dirty Jobs, just, Mike Rowe. Yes. He is superb at adding visuals to everything that he posts. And one small tip for social media really is that I think in South Africa, we underdo the visuals. And Mike Rowe is just such a great example of how to tell stories with pictures. Donovan, uh, yeah, do, you pick, do you speak the same way to people at higher echelons of industry um, as guys, you know, moving up? Aspirational. Yeah, absolutely. Because again, you've got to be authentic. You've got to be the same person at all levels. Mm. Certainly you change the complexity of the ideas. Uh, If you're giving advice to a new person starting off in their, say, their first job, the advice really is much more simple. It's learn leadership skills, learn how to speak in public. When you're speaking to a CEO, it's essentially the same thing, but on a more complex level. You start talking about underlying psychology and, uh, you know, how to work the different sort of um, the needs and wants of the people around you and so on. Mm -hmm. So it's the same thing. It's just levels of complexity. Wow. So, um, Michael, you said uh, conference uh, in Santin? Um, 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 Meetings Africa is coming up at the end of February. It's a massive show. SA Tourism are massively involved in it. Um, it's going to be causing traffic gridlock in Santon <laughs> around the 24th and 25th of February, but it's going to be the show that everyone in media, in marketing, in hospitality, in tourism needs to go to. Um, and we have, with the Unique Speaker Bureau, we have a showcase of uh, 40 top speakers. There are some from uh, overseas that are coming in and lots and lots of local talent. And we're all going to be strutting our stuff for five minutes each on stage in front of a thousand invited conference organizers just to share that brilliance, I guess, of all the speakers who are out there. And um, it results in an awful lot of business. There's, there's a massive amount of conferences taking place in southern Africa. I mean, it's been estimated there are almost uh, 300,000 events a year in South Africa that would take speakers like Douglas Kruger and myself. It's a remarkably big, big business. Everybody wants to learn about relationships. Everybody wants to learn about how to do more, achieve more, get mm. more. And I guess that's the industry that Douglas and I are lucky enough to be in. Fantastic stuff. Obviously, gentlemen, your presence as usual, Twitter, Facebook, website. Sure, I'll jump in there. Uh, I'm on I'm on all of the uh, the social media platforms. My Twitter handle is just at Douglas Kruger. I'm on uh, Facebook. I have a Facebook fan page as well. One thing I would recommend on my website, which is just my name, douglaskruger.co.za, mm. there is a little sign-up form for a weekly uh, motivational newsletter, and it's called From Amateur to Expert. So that's, that is all that it focuses on. It has a little weekly um, inspirational quote or idea or prompter to move you from amateur to expert in whatever you're doing. And that's at douglaskruger.co.za. There are also free articles and video clips there. Michael, same for you? 
Um, I'm, I'm easy because I've got a complicated name. You know, if you search for Michael Jackson on Google, you get some very strange results. Yep. So I'm known as the other Michael Jackson. If you go to the other com, there's links to all my social media. There's tons of video. There's lots of giveaways. There's all kinds of fun things that people can dive into. And I'd be more than happy to, uh, hook up with any of your listeners who want to chat or want to ask me a question. They can get me on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, any of the social media platforms just by going to the other com. Gentlemen, pleasure having you. Keep on keeping on and keep on helping us come out of our shells and uh, get value uh, for what we can produce and, of course, uh, helping us to learn as well. Thank you ever so much and uh, success in 20 Fix It. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Amanda and Douglas as well. Take care. Lovely. Thank you.